0: Save the date! Australia's largest media and marketing conference, Mumbrella 360, returns to the Hilton Sydney on July 18th to 20th, 2023. Be there as marketing professionals come together to tackle challenges and discuss solutions across every facet of the industry. With thousands of marketers in attendance, don't miss the most important marketing event of the year. Head to mumbrella.com.au forward slash mumbrella360 to grab your super early bird tickets now and immediately save $1,000. Back to the Umbrella cast, I'm Callum Jaspin and kicking off the week on Monday, Netball Australia was given a lifeline by Visit Victoria as it replaces the $15 million sponsorship last week dropped by Hancock Prospect. Then VCCP announced on Tuesday it was closing its Australian operations after 10 years, citing some issues related to COVID before you then hear the latest from SBS's upfronts and a quick look at the Christmas campaigns we've seen so far. Finally, MNC Saatchi's CEO, Justin Graham, will join the podcast to discuss that recent Tourism Australia global campaign and the latest on the agency's takeover and more. Joining me just for now is acting managing editor, Andrew Banks, before we then cross later to Kalila and Emma. Hey, Banksy, how are you doing?
1: I am getting there. How how are you feeling, How?
0: Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks, Banks. Another you know, good, good public holiday for us down in Victoria yesterday. Lucky uh, we are, and we're constantly reminded by you, uh, you up there, how many we get.
1: Yeah, I think I think we are going to have to revisit that next year and get more public holidays happening up our way. I think <laughs> just to even it
2: up a bit.
0: It's interesting, as we were chatting before. It's uh, it's it's not much of a public holiday uh, in this industry in Melbourne when. Uh, that it is it is a new south wales dominated industry and everyone obviously still cracking on um so let's get into it banksy uh, an interesting start to the week as it always is as we said we're going to cross later on to kalila and M to discuss the sbs upfront, which they are at right now at the time of recording and then we'll let you retire for the day banksy um Happy ending to a storyline we discussed last week with Visit Victoria stepping in and saving the day for Netball Australia, replacing that $15 million sponsorship deal after Gina Reinhardt's Hancock prospecting pulled it. So, Banksy, how did this come about? And I guess how is a tourism board able to afford this much money to shell out for a a sports team?
1: Well, Cal, uh, ever since Gina Reinhardt threw in her bib, and put Netball Australia offside by pulling her $15 million funding. No sooner had the three-second rule been called, there's going to be plenty of Netball uh, terms here, Cal, just get ready for it, uh, went some great footwork there by Visit Victoria to step in and offer a here if you need it and then pivot away from what was shaping up to be a disaster for Netball Australia. And I guess it really put Netball Australia in the centre circle with Visit Victoria marking its territory, and I guess what we need to do, Cal, is look at the terms of the deal, and it's a five-year partnership. It sees the State Tourism Board's logo feature on the national team uniforms. Uh, it's, it's worth about $15 million Australian, according to local media, and Visit Victoria will become a platinum partner of the Australian Diamonds. It means that the new partnership we will see Victoria host the 2023 SunCorp Super Netball Grand Final, and the state will also host at least a Diamonds match every year for the next five years. With the deal covering the Netball World Cup in 2023 and Victoria 2026 Commonwealth Games, so it's it's it it is actually um, quite a substantial. Offer um by the by Visit Victoria. Interestingly, uh Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews said he was obviously thrilled about the deal. And when asked about um w- was he setting a precedent for using taxpayer money to fund sports um if sponsorship deals fall through, he cleverly um flicked past the answer by saying I quote, it's not a matter of precedence. We just don't, we don't just set precedence in Victoria. We set the standard for major events. And then he actually called on the, you mentioned the Dua Lipa um, concert, the Billy Joel concert. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And he goes, so it's not just sport, it's about culture. Um, A couple of things to just mention here quickly. The opposition has come in and said that they would um, honour the deal made by Andrews um, should they get in at the next election. But they were, uh, I guess, raising their eyebrows at at the fact that their state is already on course to record a $9.7 billion deficit in the year. And they believe that they would have been happy um, spending the money elsewhere, um, particularly in health and, and, and other things for the state. So it has caused a bit of a uh, a, a drama. Uh, Liberal Democrats MP David Limbrick tweeted, uh, did anyone ask the netball players if they're happy to wear a Victorian government logo? I mean, we could end up going in circles here yeah. um, with, with the team, sort of, you know, we've, we've gone from, from the protests of Gina, now we might have people that don't particularly care for the uh, political aspect of, of where this is heading. Um, Liberal MP Bev Macarthur called the deal a disgrace, um, saying private investors should be coughing up the funding, not taxpayers sweating rising living costs and interest rates. Um, But what's interesting, um, I thought the the most um, telling response was, I guess, from Netball reporter Dan Koppel in the Herald Sun said that, um, you know, it's the job of tourism board's to spend taxpayer money and bring events and visitors into town. Um, And it's pretty much what they're designed to do and they should be doing that. Um, uh, Dan said that uh, the new sponsorship deal includes a significant investment in grassroots netball as well, which is pretty important for the sport and also that it aligns with the Commonwealth Games aspect of it in that it's going to be held in regional Victoria in 2026. Um, so, you know, as, as much as there are a, a proponents of the deal and opponents, I, I think it's a, it's a good deal overall for both parties. I think it'll help both brands um, in this situation. And uh, interestingly, Kelly Ryan, C, CEO of Netball Australia, said, um, Victoria is a proud sporting state and we are delighted to announce a new partnership with Visit, Visit Victoria I mean, I'm sure Ryan would have said the same thing had WA Tourism or any other state or territory tourism board for that matter stumped up the cash. So, I mean, it's a good deal. I, I think that we, it remains to be seen how that money is going to be spent, um, and I, I guess reimbursed in the coffers for the for the Victorian <laughs> government. What, what do you think, Cal? Well, I I really um.
0: I really think that point you made about, uh, you know, the the, uh, the argument against using taxpayer funds and you say, you know, it is, of course, their duty to spend that money in whatever way, I guess, promotes the state. And we discussed it last week. There is an opportunity for a brand to come in and sort of save the day here. And, you know, for the brand of the, the Victorian Tourism Board, this is a brilliant deal. Um, and it will yes. probably likely only have positive... Um, knock-on effects since then. I haven't really seen a lot of negative um, dialogue around this one. Um, you know, I think obviously also there's the also as you mentioned there's the aspect of a state election at the end of this um, at the end of this month. So that that will be interesting. It's good to hear that the opposition um, has pledged to uphold that. Um, Obviously, we won't talk about what the likelihood of that election is, but it's good to see that that will that will still be standing. Um, And of course, Banksy, uh, always have to leave it up to the Victorians to save the day. Um, Don't really have any more questions for you because you kind of covered it all off in that um, in that answer there, Banksy. So why don't we um, hop on to the next storyline, uh, which is VCCP, the Global Communications Agency, is shutting its doors in Australia after 10 years, citing wide-ranging impacts related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Very unfortunate this one, Banksy, and not, of course, what you want to see, but it's also maybe not the last of this as well. Um, so what happens here, Banksy, because we recently saw VCCP purchase Sling and Stone, the PR and comms agency. Will have an a impact on the agencies that it does own locally as well?
1: Uh, not at this stage. I, I think it's it's more of a, a, a broader decision by the parent company, VCCP. I, I think what's interesting is th- the fact that Sling and Stone is one one of those agencies among others. Earlier in the year when I had a chat with Vuki from Sling and Stone at at the ComsCon, Umbrella ComsCon event. It was interesting to talk about how VCC were one of the VCCP were one of the um, agencies that came in to to buy Sling and Stone at the time and essentially the business model that they had, um, they're not a, a massive holding company. They're not a smaller player. They're more your mid-range um, company that, that's that's sort of looking for different areas and, and, and alignments. And I think that those agencies that they have in Australia are not going to be affected. They've pretty much come out and said that. Like uh, to quote, they said, Watermelon, Someone and Sling and Stone are all unaffected by this news and continue to show strong growth in the market. As a group, we remain committed to these businesses and the Australian market. So while VCCP Sydney is, is, is pulling out, it's really staying there to support um, its subsidiaries and also they are in talks to partner in the region to explore a strategic alliance um, that could facilitate the transition. Of their people and clients following the closure, so it looks like they're they're b- taking really good care. It's not essentially a, a just sort of dropping the ball or or pulling pulling the plug on things. They really are trying to reassign things and 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 work out the best move next for their business.
0: Yeah, um, obviously. After a couple of tough years of COVID, it's not what you want to see, and you don't want to see um multiple agencies, I guess um going backwards. You of course want to see the market grow. It's similar to what we saw reported a few weeks ago with um the indie full service agency Lion Eyes, which um also got itself into a bit of a sticky situation and ended up having to go into administration. Um, but that sale has been completed also, and the those uh, two. Agencies which originally got together um, are now back functioning independently. So, uh, I, I guess some some hope there at that situation, Banksy.
1: I don't know whether I've said this before on the pod, but going back to to that feature I did when I went to Perth and I spoke to Nick Bays, the managing director of the brand agency, which is part of WPP, um, and he told me back in September that um, he believed that. Because there are a lot of smaller independent agencies coming up, um, he, he felt that was good for the industry, but he also felt that it was unsustainable and that um, all these agencies of those sizes, as the economy starts to slow and and spending starts to become an issue, um, he believed at the time he said you will see many close their doors as a result of decreasing client spends yeah. or the client startups um, have clients that are failing to secure capital themselves so there are there are a lot of things at play here um and i just think it's interesting you know to, to see that uh, i guess coming to fruition in in some respects
0: Let, let's move on to the next subject we're going to cross to Khalila and emma who have just uh walked out of the sbs up front <music> another year goes by and we finally see off the upfront season now we are bringing in kalila and emma into the podcast after a uh, a busy hour or so figuring out how to actually get on this call but you're here welcome to you both
3: hello nice to be here
0: so you've just um you've just got in the door quite literally from sbs's upfronts in barangaroo can you Um, tell us a little bit about, first of all, how the event was, and then we'll get into the actual, um, content of it.
3: Yeah, the event was really impressive. It was obviously in a very beautiful space at the cutaway at Barangaroo. Um, you know, it was, it was, I think I was saying earlier, it had a really nice focus on, um, first nations culture and, you know, Australian culture as a whole, it felt like a really nicely diverse and representative uh, kind of event that really, um, it didn't focus on kind of blowing everyone away with, you know, glam, I guess, but it was really nice and everything was really well
2: done. I thought it just had some nice kind of touches to it. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it as well. And as Kalila said, it just had a really like strong focus on that cultural aspect and diversity and what they do best at SBS, uh, which I think, you know, the other kind of broadcasters don't really do as well. So it was nice that they kind of didn't compare themselves too much to other, you know, networks and broadcasters and kind of focused on what they were good at and, you know, reaching those niche niche audiences, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, on your kind of points there, a few interesting lines from the managing director of SBS, James Taylor's speech. Um, he said that SBS is the embodiment of Australia, saying, a place that is home to the world's oldest continuing culture and to people from all corners of the globe. As Australia's demographic shift to reflect an even greater diversity of cultures and languages, our responsibility and opportunity at SBS grows. The focus, uh, from what it seems like, was sort of um, trying to get advertisers to, I I guess, shift their spend and what they're saying is invest in good and in content that has an impact and good business outcomes. Um, what what was it sort of on that front that really kind of stood out to you about um, the actual content and slate that was presented by SBS today?
2: I loved the content slate. Uh, what was very prevalent was the focus on food uh, and drama. They do have a lot of local original content as well. And I, did, um, I do believe that they're investing quite a bit on local original exclusives. Mm-hmm. Is that
3: right, Kalia? Yeah. Uh, That's right. So they have uh, three new local exclusive dramas, which um, all sounded super interesting, I have to say. And um, I feel like they are taking a bit of an edgier approach than some of the other networks. You know, they're, they're going out of the box with formats that we haven't really seen before with um so one of the formats for example they have a thriller um, about domestic violence starring Aisha D called Safe Home. Uh, they also have a queer revisionist historical drama about women finding their power during World War II um, which is called While well, the Men Are Away and another one an anthology of contemporary tales about desire called Erotic Stories. So very different to what we're seeing on some of the other broadcasters Uh, and this comes across as well to their documentaries too and as i mentioned some of their food series there is a real focus on stories that aren't being told on other platforms looking at things like um, consent and sexual assault looking at um, you know the multiculturalism of Australia, and, and of course, such a First Nations focus as well with the content that is on um, NITV, who will be celebrating their 10-year anniversary next month, I believe. Um, and they've got a lot of new formats that they're welcoming in. And um, with those formats, as you mentioned, Cal, they're just really honing in on how different they are and and what kind of niche audiences and quality content they're offering and how they can work with advertisers that have purpose and want to reach these these audiences that have you know these kind of values and you know um that are multicultural or diverse in other ways as well
2: I also have something to add uh, on your point Khalila, that they did mention that less ads uh have a higher value um in audience so uh, the higher audience recall is up um stronger ad attention, and I think that has something to do with their butterfly effect that they mentioned today, which meant um, a small investment can go a long way in terms of audience reach. Um, and as you said, the multi-channel is aiming to really help advertisers reach those niche audiences, which I thought was quite cool.
0: Yeah, and then that butterfly effect you mentioned there, I think they're asking for 10% of TV spend from brands and 27% on BVOD. Um I know, Khalila. last week I think you mentioned the user experience on some of these BVOD platforms, which has been a focus from SBS uh, and they're launching SBS Connect as part of that. Um, and then, again, the sort of positioning SBS on demand as sort of different to what some of those other free-to-air networks are sort of as more destination streaming rather than a like-for-like replacement for viewers on linear TV. So it'll be really interesting, um, I guess, how they do take that to market. And any points on what came out on um, on demand from either of you?
3: Um, I Yeah, I think that the biggest thing for me is that they're really positioning themselves in competition with the SVOD services um, rather than competing against you know, 10, 9 and 7 with their BVOD services. So As we know, they have um, a really broad spectrum of international content formats that they're bringing in like Handmaid's Tale, sorry, um, as well as their own exclusive formats. Um, And they've also made a lot of investment recently into the service itself to make sure that it does have, as you were saying, Callan, as I've said, a seamless experience, um, not just on the audience end, but on the advertiser end as well.
2: I definitely think that what SBS brings uh, to the table is the fact that they have really Kind of impressive, exclusive rights to some of these really successful programs, such as *A Handmaid's Tale*. I know that you know when you look at the the show up lift of a show like *Handmaid's Tale*, each week on their seven day total TV report, um, it's up like uh, over four hundred percent, which is such a high number. So that's kind of a pretty incredible selling point to advertisers as well, and and not being stuck behind a paywall, it's free.
0: Yeah, as, as you say, there, I and mean, we've seen. Um, I think. A, lo- a big sticking point for some of the global SVOD services and their success locally in Australia has been the ability to attract some of those really top-level global hits such as, you know, the success of um, House of the Dragon that's just finished and we've seen the studio deals kind of hinging on that with Stan and the like. So as you say, having a show like Handmaid's Tale on free-to-air and available for free is, I guess, a big sticking point. And uh, on top of that, I think 15000 plus hours of content available for free. Um, just lastly, a quick mention on uh, SBS Audio, the cross-platform kind of digital um, positioning for SBS. Um, what, what did they have to say about that one?
3: I think the change um, is is mostly representative, obviously, like a lot of uh, other networks and, and platforms like we've seen earlier this year with CRA's rebrand from commercial radio Australia to commercial radio and audio, they're just bringing in um, the fact that they are uh, they are on podcast as well as on radio. And as we know, radio is playing less and less of a role for SBS, um, who has since its origins expanded to so much more than radio. So I guess they're just kind of shifting the perspective so that they can communicate that position.
2: Um, and also the cool thing about, you know, their move is, you know the broadcast um they broadcast more than 262 hours of original audio content which you said and published hundreds of articles in more than 60 languages which i just think is incredible
0: yeah and um so it sounds like you both very much uh, enjoyed the presentation and and next week as part of the uh Mumbrella Cast Upfront's series, the final one for this year, will feature um, James Taylor, as we mentioned before, and Tanya Denning-Ullman, the Director of Indigenous Content. So that will be out on Tuesday. Um, Just one final last point to run over here. Coles released its Christmas campaign this morning, which means we can probably expect Woolworths to come uh, very shortly. We've had quite a few of these so far. Khalil is our uh, in-house Campaigns expert, what have, what have you made of them so far?
3: Uh, I think the biggest notable difference compared to last year, and and again, we haven't seen um, a great number of campaigns yet. I think we've seen about maybe four or five. There's definitely a lot less of referencing COVID, a lot less of you know coming back together type of vibes. As um, you mentioned, Cold released theirs this morning, and it did have a slight kind of nod to the fact that we've been through something in the last few years, but most of them have tried to steer clear of this, I think, and just bring a bit of Christmas joy in saying that. Um, I really love the Coles campaign. I think it's really cool and really different to what we've seen before. I do have a least favorite, but I won't name names. If anyone wants to guess, they can ask
0: me. I, I I tend to agree with you there, <laughs> Clearly, the, um The Coles one I thought was good. And I, I really did enjoy um, how they're sort of very much playing to a typically Aussie Christmas rather than, you know, a, a, as we sometimes see some of those northern hemispheric um tropes that we see down under which sometimes you know especially for me growing up in the UK doesn't really make sense when when you come over here and you see people rugging up and you know getting there just doesn't land down under yeah
3: (laughs) I'm excited to see what comes out of Aldi that's that's a big one that we are yet to hear from um as well as some of the other kind of big retail giants Maya I know um has something exciting in the works from what I've heard
0: yeah, so we've so far we've seen Big W, Kmart, Target, uh, Cole's, and I believe Michael Hill Matthew Jewellers. So, yeah. Mm. So still to come, obviously Woolworths, and then that BMF Aldi one, which uh, obviously last year had quite a lot of success. Um Okay. Lastly, after the break, we're going to talk to MNC Sachi CEO, Justin Graham. So uh, we'll maybe see if we can get any hints on that Woolies campaign there, but otherwise we'll be talking about launching a global tourism campaign. But before we get to that, thank you, Emma and Kalila for joining me.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Cal.
0: CEO of MNC Sachi, Justin Graham, welcome to the
4: podcast. Nice to see you, Cal. Great to be here again.
0: Great to see you too. Um, so we're getting you on today. Uh, obviously, you're o- overdue an appearance on the podcast, but it, it worked out timing-wise well after um, the recent Tourism Australia campaign, "Come and Say Good Day." Um, we've heard a little bit from Susan Cogill and the TA team on putting the campaign together, but it'd be great to hear it from the agency side. So I guess. We could start with, um, when did did the conversation sort of around the strategy and the ideation of the the campaign come around?
4: Look, these uh, these things take a long time, as you know, and uh, it's certainly been a disrupted period. So, look, it's been uh, a a conversation, obviously, at a a government level and and thinking and engaging with the relevant tourism bodies and obviously a conversation with us for probably the best part of two years, actually, uh, thinking about. Uh, the work that we did uh, through the pandemic in particular, which was very much driving domestic tourism uh, off the platform around holiday here this year, uh, that was necessary and successful uh, on on many levels. uh, But we were very quickly turning our attention to when uh, the Tourism Australia body has a product to sell again, i.e. borders are open, uh, and, uh, and we need to go and fuel Um, uh, the demand uh, and start um, really allowing I guess this thriving tourism industry that we've got to be able to start accepting tourists again and building on that and leveraging a lot of their infrastructure Um, you know it was uh, it's been a long conversation uh, and one that we didn't really know exactly when we were going to go um, and there's a lot of factors around that but it's great to have it out there in the real world obviously
0: you know working with your pretty extensive creative team on this as well it's it, it's it's funny you kind of touched on it a little bit there but it sort of feels like this campaign is going to be you know a one-of-a-kind and something that we'll never be able to see again because there isn't really well as far as we know going to be another opportunity to sort of relaunch Australia Was the, what was the team kind of thinking in terms of sinking their teeth into that and kind of I guess there's and added pressure that you've only got that one shot as well.
4: Yeah, I think there's there's a few things in there. I think there's uh, the one-of-a-kind piece is interesting because we very much see this as definitely a moment in time, but this yep. is an enduring platform that's going to build for years. Uh, so we were very conscious that this couldn't be a sugar fix around borders are open. And some, look, some other markets have done that as well, and we're very conscious of that. And I would say that... Uh, a lot of the tourism bodies around the world, the countries have, have definitely raised their game uh, coming out of COVID around what tourism and what attracting tourists looks like. But we were very clear that we know, and you know, we know that we'll touch around marketing science, that this needed to be an enduring platform. So uh, so it was a moment in time, but uh, as has been well documented as well, it's picking up a lot of the cues that are f- were familiar pre-COVID as well. And how do we take the best of, and the attributes that exist within Australia and then take them and reimagine re- re- them in a new world. So, uh, But what a privilege. I mean, what a privilege to open up Australia again to the world officially through comms in the way that we did.
0: Yeah, and, and again, you sort of mentioned the, the marketing science and um, Susan and the team had spoken about that as well, the really extensive market research that was done. Um, w- would you be able to talk a little bit, I guess, about... The actual differences in creating a campaign for a global audience, as as opposed to maybe some of the domestic campaigns that we've all kind of come to know that come out of um, MNC. Yeah,
4: I think some of the principles are the same uh, around the enduring platforms, and yeah, I mean you you know that we've got some great platforms that we're very proud of, uh, can with Combank and uh, today's Fresh Food, people with Woolworths so are two of the larger with the larger brands domestically. But as someone said to me the other day, it is very rare that you uh, get a brief, and this wasn't exactly the brief, but uh, the broader brief is how do you talk to 18 to 80-year-olds across 15 markets, you know, many languages within that as well, uh, talk to their motivations uh, in a time where you're trying to um, represent uh, uh, all the states as best you can, represent overall the perception of Australia and the positive attributes there do it in a time where we were still limited with travel limited in terms of the talent that we could access and the way that we could bring that to life we We're dealing with border closures and even through the filming of this the stars luckily we had some animated stars they can't get COVID, but certainly the real stars got COVID <laughs> through that as well so um so that's probably the difference is just how broad it was and i was reflecting as i was thinking about this that when we first started working with tourism australia as an agency we said uh, our ambition is to create work that is unique as the country that we're selling. Uh, and you look back at the work that was done prior to us, and the Dundee work, and all the way back to to Hogue's as well. Uh, it's all very unique, and it's all so yeah. representative of Australia. So that's a pretty high bar to run at, and, and that's what we love about that ambition.
0: And I guess I've just got the um, I've got the YouTube page for Tourism Australia up right now and um just to give the listeners an insight over the success and not that this is the the only metric of success but so far the uh, i think the, the japanese version has uh 3.4 million views i think the korean version has um sorry that's not the korean version <laughs> the um official film the 9 minute version has 19 million views the korean version of that has 2.3 million and the, the German version has 2.4 so just a snapshot um, of I guess the global success that has got so far which is pretty phenomenal And that being um, obviously around two weeks ago what I guess were some of the metrics for or expectations over the 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 results of the campaign and then I guess in turn how has that been received so far with that success
4: yeah i think um it's always a challenge when you look at those initial numbers as well and uh we've certainly kept an eye on on the youtube numbers uh and that's outside of all the social platforms as well where there's been various versions of that where it's run in cinemas in some countries as well uh, look, I think the uh, without a set number around viewership, I think the idea that if it's circa 20 million already for a nine-minute film, which is, you know, just under, I guess, the Australian population, you realise the scale of who we're talking to very quickly as well and how big this is. Uh, impressions are obviously far beyond that. Um, so uh, so no uh, viewership numbers in particular. I know also the re sorry, um, yeah, not just the, the recall numbers, but uh, in terms of um, completion numbers for such a long piece of content as well have been uh, in, incredibly strong. Um, so, so that's another piece as well in terms of landing that point. Uh, I think there's, uh, you know, the brand consultancy System One um, is, is an organisation that Tourism Australia and, and obviously we have worked very closely with through this campaign and will continue to do so as well. Uh, and they've been very interesting because they're, I guess, a predictor of future market share. Uh, and uh, and that has uh, ranked incredibly high, so between fours and fives for them around the world around for, for this piece of work. And, and I saw some other publications this week that proactively go and run big campaigns, whether it be campaign, domestic campaigns in the US or global campaigns for other brands. They put us against those and we came out ranking the highest Uh, in that area. And certainly the highest in the key markets for us, UK, um, Japan, uh, very high across uh, America as well. So uh, they're the early indicators for us. But again, let's not get too excited around the early numbers. We're just excited about seeing some indicators on where it's going to go.
0: And then I guess just to um, just to round up on the campaign itself, you mentioned some of those uh, previous campaigns, and a lot of them, as you say, are very unique in their own way. Um, w- was there any sort of uh, seeking of advice from any of those that have done it previously? I guess in terms of where to where to begin and how to approach, a, 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 I guess, a mammoth task like this.
4: Look, we uh, we're always open for advice, and we only need to look at um, <laughs> our industry as well as probably half the Australian population that are open to giving advice around how Australia should be marketed to the world. And that's great passion, but there's also some some absolute gold in there as well. And we've been very fortunate to be, to work on a number of campaigns over the years. Certainly, this agency, um, uh, the work back in the day around where the bloody hell are you, obviously the mate song work that happened as well, specifically around the UK uh, just prior to COVID at the back end of 2019. Um, you know, so there was extensive research that went into those that came into this piece as well. Uh, we know so much more now around how campaigns land and around how those uh, unique assets uh, exist, I guess, in, in markets around the world and how they can be leveraged. Uh, We also know the power of storytelling. And at the end of the day, there's a lot of science and there has been some focus around science around this and that's exactly as it should be. There's a lot of scrutiny. On the other hand, it's art, right? And we, we know that great storytelling and imagination is always going to win people over. And at a time where they are... Sort of seeking adventure and seeking uh, a place to go and um, either relax or adventure or find themselves after after an extended period of lockdown. You know, at the end of the day, we need to entertain around that. So there was definitely definitely some advice there. There's there's people and there's a a trusted group of ambassadors, um, some very famous, some some less that have lent into tourism Australia campaigns over the years as well. And uh, again, that's a great knowledge bank. Um, and there's also just a great body of knowledge within the Tourism Australia organisation. You know, a board that's in the industry, um, executives that are passionate living this every day uh, and that are engaging with the industry. I think there's 300,000 small business operators that identify as, 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 as offering tourism in some form in Australia. Uh, so, you know, the, 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 um, the roadshows prior to that as well also gets a lot of information around, okay, what, what is important? Um so, yeah, so definitely definitely was a collaborative effort. And then all the partners that we brought on as well to go and produce um, produce the content, which will continue in its many forms in many markets for a long time to come.
0: Well, congrats on, on the rollout of that so far. And then um, I guess another one of the, the biggest campaigns of the year, which we can expect soon, the Woolies campaign, which I assume will be imminent after we saw Coles this morning. What could, What can we expect from that one?
4: Yeah, Uh, look, I think there's we're proud to launch our Big W work uh, as well today, um, which is uh, a beautiful uh, a beautiful piece of work around drawing people to Big W and around more of the sort of the magical side of Christmas. I think uh, I saw the Coles work came out and and they're clearly you know driving uh, a piece around togetherness as well. Uh, Look, Woolworths uh, Woolworths response is is imminent. Uh, We're really excited about uh, what's going to come out. You know, Woolworths has such an incredible part to play in australian christmases and it has for many years uh, we know outside of the world of retailing that this christmas is going to look a bit different right we you know we we're talking just before around another uh, interest rate rise um you know there's there's different views around how these costs of living pressures are starting to hit as well uh and woolworths understands where australia's at uh, and understands what's going to be important i guess this this christmas as well so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really confident that people will engage with it, uh, but more importantly, uh, experience the brand over the holiday season as well. And again, you know, what a privilege to be able to go and do that type of work for Australia's most trusted brand at a time where people are going to be coming together.
0: Had a slight technical issue here that cut off the last little bit of Justin's answer. Uh, so sorry about that, Justin, but we're going to just uh, carry on from here. And then I guess, um, looking ahead for, uh, 2023 for MNC. So the, the proposed takeover from next 15 communications for MNC is now, uh, dead in the water. It's over after shareholders voted it down this week. And this also came after the offer from, um, Vin Muria's ADV also lapsed last month, meaning that the business will continue as an independent entity, um, I guess being over here in Australia, what's this process sort of been like in in a sense sort of in limbo and then I guess then planning ahead for what the company is going to look like into the future?
4: Yeah, look, we've uh, had a really clear view on, on where the business is going um, globally uh, and, and prior to this as well. And uh, I think probably that's part of the <laughs> attraction of having an unusual situation where you have two bidders coming in at the same time, looking to, to take the business uh, in, in quite different directions as well. Uh, and certainly the external attention has uh, allowed us to go and narrow our focus around where we're headed. And yeah, you, you talk about Australia there as well. You know, Australia is a really significant part of our global network. Uh, and this idea about being a, a more connected model um, coming together uh, and, and being a creative solutions company that, that draws on the, the quite unique strengths that we have, being an, an independent um, uh, marketing business globally. So uh, yeah, so no doubt it's been um, it's been consuming this year, uh, some more some so than others, for more people than others. Um, uh, but excited about the future of independence and. Uh, will continue, and in the coming months, come out around you know what that strategy looks like moving forward um, in the world that we live in now, uh, and covering everything from uh, M and A through to uh, through our creative ambitions and obviously our growth ambitions. So, uh, yeah, an interesting process to to go through overall, and certainly I think we come out as a, a stronger, uh, more focused organization. You've
0: moved into your new hub in Sydney yesterday and in Melbourne uh, plans to move into that new office in December also. There's some more exciting things on the horizon with um, Paul Hutchison coming over very soon to take up his job at Bohemia. If you could I guess just touch on a bit a bit more about you know you you talk about those growth ambitions and the integrated um, creative ambitions into 2023 and I guess how all those things will sort of help you deliver that.
4: It's nice to have a few balls landing uh, in terms of what we've been running at over the last 12 to 18 months. Uh, yeah, so we've got our new uh, our new old hub, so for those people that are familiar with us in Sydney, we're still uh, the same address. Uh, with a new entrance at 99 Macquarie Street, we l- absolutely love that building uh, being in, I guess, such an interesting creative hub uh, within Sydney as well, where smack bang between the the new um, Modern Art Gallery, a refurbished uh, Opera House, we've got the MCA there as well, State Library is undergoing. Uh, transformation. We've got you know, Salesforce and AMP around us and obviously the new key quarter area. So we love that we're here. We love the inspiration we get around that. Uh, and and we love what we've been able to come up with as well. So taking a heritage listed building and, and transforming it for a world that's uh, hopefully in post-pandemic, definitely embracing all the flexibility that we have now. Um, we have taken the opportunity to uh, overall reduce our size. So we had uh, buildings across Redfern, uh, production capabilities in Surrey Hills and obviously Macquarie Street. We've brought all of those capabilities together into the same place. Now, overall, we've probably dropped about 40 to 50% of our space to go and do that. We were operating in a more efficient way where we say, look, let's come together to create and let's come together to connect and be very deliberate around when we do that. So we worked with uh, the global architecture firm Woods Bagot to uh, imagine a space that was uniquely M&C Saatchi, taking all their learnings from around the world and bring it to life in just something that's a beautiful space. So um, uh, we, we worked with someone from just actually a couple of hours ago. We, we had a, a, a wonderful ceremony out the front with someone from the First Nations Lands Council to do a smoking ceremony to uh, officially open the space and talk about what that future can look like and the role that we play within storytelling. So uh, so that's been really exciting. And we're, we'll have uh, quite a different ceremony on Thursday night where we're opening up our new bar as well to uh, to go and welcome people back in. So, um, so that's been a, a really busy week. And we're doing exactly the same thing down in Melbourne. Um, uh, where we're moving into a space in Richmond um, on Church Street. Uh, again, Melbourne has experienced such significant growth over the last couple of years. So we had outgrown our space. Uh, go and find a creative hub that's distinctly Melbourne, which you will like uh, as well. So there's a Very DNA so. of MNC Saatchi <laughs> going through the boast, but, but they'll look quite different. Uh, so, yeah, so that's some two really exciting things to land before everyone goes off and has their holidays. Um, and then moving into next year, you know, it's a big part of the, the ambition I talked about being the most connected, creative company. You know, it's another part of organizing our original thinkers in ways that um, you wouldn't expect. Uh, and uh, and one of those connected parts is, um, is leadership around Bohemia as well. And Hutch is... Uh, I think a week away from getting down here we've got him on the tools early, so he's um he's starting to think around our business. He's obviously very engaged uh with our people and uh, and to an extent uh with our clients um and uh you know he that will form a really key part as we think around media and commerce and the change going on in that environment, certainly going through a period where uh people are absolutely looking for growth from that capability. Uh, they're really focused around uh, attention metrics increasingly as well and for someone like hutch who's uh just a brilliant guy um but also and he's obviously been on this on this on this podcast as well but also someone that really embraces that connected model Uh, again yeah can't wait to get him out here
0: brilliant well uh thank you again for taking the time for me and the podcast today justin it's been uh, great to see you
4: Yeah, always good to connect. Uh, Look forward to maybe connecting in person. I'll invite you into the office soon. Maybe Melbourne will get you in there for the drinks. Yeah,
0: definitely. Looking forward to it. All right. Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate. Cheers. And that is it for this week. Please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already on your podcast platform and leave us a review too if you like what you're hearing. We'll be back next Tuesday with our last Upfront special with SBS. But for now, Banksy, thank you for joining me.
1: Yeah, great. Thanks, Carl, for having me. And uh, yeah, hope to see you up in Sydney soon.
0: And thanks again to Emma, Kalila and Justin too. Cheers.